welcome to the Top Order podcast. It's T20 World Cup time. On the 16th of October, the tournament kicks off with the group stages, climaxing at the SCG. We're going to talk all things T20 World Cup, the runners and riders, bold predictions and a whole heap more coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. So guys, first and foremost, we've got, I guess, our usual format here. So we're going to go through a little bit of an explainer. We're going to talk about the weight of the warm-up games. Have they made an impact on the lead-up to this tournament? We're going to each pick a team and have a little bit of a deep dive. We're going to talk about players that we want to see or certainly the ones to watch throughout the course of the tournament. Some bold predictions and then you're going to hear it here first. You're going to find out who's going to make it through to that final four of the World Cup so you can get your money on it, whichever bookmaker um, you choose. Um, but Bordy, let's start with the ubiquitous explainer. Tell us about the T20 World Cup. It's been held in your home nation. Uh, what do we know about the tournament format? Yes, boys, welcome to, well, what is quite clearly an opening full of numbers and acronyms. Welcome to the 2022 ICC T20 World Cup for men. And that will be hosted in Australia. Australia playing dual role of both host and defending champion. From the 16th of October through to the 13th of November, it will be a two-stage group tournament with a semi-final and knockout format. Uh, so let's get cracking into what is going to be the first stage. Actually, we'll cover the venues first. So there's going to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven venues across Australia. So the six major cricket grounds plus the Cardinia Park ground in Geelong will host some of the group stages. And we'll split the group stages into two rounds. The first round will be the qualifier round. Four teams in two pools. So eight teams in total will play in the first round for the right to go through to the second round. And those four teams in Group A are Namibia, the Netherlands, Sri Lanka, and the United Arab Emirates. And they will play each other all once at Cadinia Park in Geelong from the 16th of October through to the 20th of October. The top two teams in that group will progress to the next stage. The teams in Group B are Ireland, Scotland, the West Indies, and Zimbabwe. All will play each other once at the Bell Reeve Oval in Hobart between the 17th of October and the 21st of October. The top two teams from that group will go through to the second round. And they're calling that the Super 12. So there are eight teams that have already qualified, plus the top two teams from each group in round one. We'll go through to round two. Group one will feature Afghanistan, Australia, England, New Zealand, the winner from Pool A, and the runner-up from Pool B in round one. And they will play each other once each uh, in grounds around Australia. Group two in the second round, will feature Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, South Africa, the winner from Group B in Round 1, and the runner-up from Group A in Round 1. They will all play each other once in grounds around Australia. The semi-finals will be the winner of the first group will play the runner-up of the second group. The winner of the second group will play the runner-up of the first group uh, at Sydney and Adelaide on the 9th and 10th of November. And the final will be played at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, or the G, 
on the 13th of November 2022, and that will be obviously the winner of the semi-final. So there you go. They're all the runners and riders. I'll just touch on the prize money because there's a lot of cash up for grabs in this tournament. 1.6 million US will go to the winning team. The runner-up will get 800 grand. The losing semi-finalists will get 400,000 US each. Uh, for winning a Super 12 match, you get 40K. Uh, teams getting knocked out in the Super 12 stage will get 70K per team. Uh, and the teams that get knocked out in that first round will get 40K each, plus a bonus $40,000 US for each match won in the first round. Total prize pool on offer, $5.6 million US. Australia are the defending champions. They will defend their crown on home soil, having, of course, won the tournament barely 12 months ago. Let, let's quickly move on from uh, that last point about Australia winning the last tournament. I'm sure it won't be the first time uh, we do mention it in this show, but I, I guess um, I hope we have to let someone else go. But um, first, Baldy, after after your long explainer, but the, the main question while we're setting the kind of table here is that I want to know is really around. Um, we talked heaps last year about the build up and Australia's terrible build up and other teams performing well, and I feel like that kind of led us to our predictions. What I want to know this time is how much stock are we actually putting into the build-up? Because when I look at these teams, I have absolutely no idea if any of them know who their top lineup is because of the way that all of them are just playing so many games it seems like they're playing different teams in every single game. Can we actually read anything into this, Raj? I think it gives us some interesting indications, but I think you have to take some some of that information and then take some of the other information just with a, a grain of salt and chuck it over your shoulder. Uh, for example, like I believe Pakistan's form's actually good. They, they, they are going to be a strong team in, in this World Cup. England, they beat Pakistan in Pakistan, but I think they're going to play better than they did in that series, for example. So I think there is a little bit of, you know, you've got to take sort of things as, as they come and, and, and see, what, see how you actually feel about it. But I don't think that you can take all of it on face value, definitely. Binksy? Yeah, I'd probably say pretty similar. And I think you just look at the amount of warm-up cricket that's going on leading into this tournament. England, as you mentioned, just played a seven-game series um, in the 35-degree heat of, uh, of Karachi. Um, New Zealand warming up against Bangladesh in the minus three conditions in Christchurch. And then um, teams already arriving in Australia. England played in Perth at the Optus Stadium um, last night. And the other thing that strikes me is, you know, we've talked a lot about rest and rotation and the way that teams are kind of um, almost not sort of playing their best sides leading in. You know, England is a prime example. You know, Phil Salt had a really, really good tournament. Um, he probably isn't going to get onto the park. And a little bit like the way these guys now just take a brand new bat out of the bubble wrap and go straight out into the middle with it. There's a number of teams that are just going to be doing that. Um, you know, Ben Stokes has played almost no cricket. Looks like he's going to come straight in. Joss Butler's played almost no cricket. Looks like he's going to come straight in. Australia have rested several players, even last night. The likes of Josh Hazelwood, um, Pat Cummins, etc., not playing in that game. So, yes, you can take a little bit into it, but I think it's going to be the teams that adapt to the conditions most quickly in Australia that are going to find uh, find their way into their work, in, in, in my view. Oh, well, I mean, I, I absolutely uh, tend to agree with that in terms of uh, the way that this is come about you know I'm thinking about the sides that uh, that I'm most focused on New Zealand we've played so many games I feel like over the last it feels like we've been on tour now we're back at home but it feels like we've been on tour for 
the whole year, really. This, um, you know, the whole winter. We come back, we, we've played four, five, six different sides. We played different lineups in every single game. You know, I just feel like you kind of have to throw all of that. Yes, it's important. Yes, you want to see those players in form. But then you have to go, this is a tournament format. Really, realistically, I think the best sides to make those semifinals, they're going to have to win one or two big games. That's kind of it. You know, you're going to have have your team sorted. You win one or two games, bang, you're in the semifinals. So it's a matter of who turns up on the day, who's ready in those big moments to to make it count. Uh, and I think then you can really throw the rest of it all out the window. What do you think, Baldy? Well, I might I might disagree. I'm not sure that there's a lot you can read into the into the form guide, except for maybe one or two teams that are playing in Australia right now. I I look at that England form against Australia in that opening game, and they've hit the ground running. They are ready to roll. I think the teams that are playing in conditions that are not going to represent what Australia are going to throw at them are have more question marks hanging over them, right? So the Indian side that played against South Africa recently in India played three spinners. And I don't think we're going to see that in the tournament proper. The Indian side also didn't play any all-rounder in that lineup and played five or six like frontline bowlers in that tournament. I don't think that's going to be the formula that they go with. I think they're going to have at least one all-rounder in that side that batting in the top six, you know, someone like Hardik Pandya. So... I think the form guide is is okay for some teams, and I think the form guide is representative for Australia, for example, who have got some question marks still over the makeup of their side. But I think you know at least they're playing in the same conditions, and you can kind of have a uh, run the eye over them and see what they're up to. But some of the other sides that are playing in, you know, conditions that aren't aren't going to be representative of what, of what they're going to see in Australia, really, is not much you can read into that. Awesome. Well, guys, we, we've got to the bottom of that one. So. And potentially it might make a difference and potentially uh, it might not. Uh, but look, that's the beauty of our cricketing podcast. We never agree, which is good. Um, let's have a little bit of a run over some of the teams. And, and look, we're not going to propose to go through um, look all 12 teams that we, we think are going to make it into that Super 12 segment. And we're certainly not going to go into um, all of the qualifiers as well. But we've all taken the time to run our rule over um, not necessarily the team that we're going to think is going to win the tournament, but potentially the one that's going to give us the most um, interest. I, I think we're, you know, we are divided a little bit down party lines. And as a New Zealand cricket podcast, let's probably cover um, the Black Caps fortunes um, first. Lippy, I think you've taken a deep dive on um, on Gary Steed's Steed. Steed, jeepers, well, jeepers, Banksy. We, well, I don't know about this. I, I we, love getting corrected the, um, on pronunciations of vowels in New Zealand. That's that's a little bit rich. But Lippy, over to you. Well, look, I mean, yeah, it's obviously no surprise that New Zealand is the most interesting team um, when I look at this lineup. But I, I actually think uh, there are a lot more questions, I think, going into this tournament than we might have had last year. There was a lot of optimism. I think even j- sort of halfway through our nine-month overseas tour, it felt like there was quite a lot of optimism in New Zealand, certainly in you know cricketing circles, that this team was in the right going in the right direction we were building some depth so you know and at least in the white ball format obviously the the England test tour was a bit of a disappointment as well but you know with Bracewell with uh Nisha Mitchell Phillips all of these players we were going okay who can we you know 
now it's a ma- not a question of how do we fill out this 11. It's a question of, you know, how do we actually get some of these guys on the side because there are too many guys to actually pick. Then we go to Australia, get absolutely dealt to in those games when we probably should have won them. You know, that brings back all those horrible memories of playing Australia. We've got Australia in the first game of this tournament. And then, you know, we go into this uh, little tri-series we've got here in the freezing cold. And uh, and Pakistan, you know, knock New Zealand over. There's worries about the speed that New- with New Zealand batting. People are starting to, you know, almost underrate New Zealand now maybe. So, I don't know, Raj, where, where are you sitting on, I guess, the, the kind of heat uh, the heat map of New Zealand? How are we? How you, how's your... Uh, temperature on the site yeah before i answer that question i think a part of my answer to this question will be uh the answer of the question i'm about to ask you uh and that is did that sound ominous ominous i was trying to make it sound quite ominous um my, my, my question is you mentioned those games that we lost you know those close games that we lost previously we lost those games uh we've moved on However, this time I feel like we're losing those games and we're stopping and we're thinking about them and maybe it's because a few of them are stacking up, but why do you think that we kind of, we've kind of lost our way a little bit uh, in that sort of direction that we want to be heading after these losses versus those losses that we have had previously in limited overs games? Well, I mean, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of theories. I mean, the Australia one always sets us back. If we think about even going back to that test series, it took us uh, that we went, we went over there with high hopes. We came back to New Zealand. We actually lost the T20 series against India at home, 5-0. A lot of similarities to, you know, stuff that was sort of going on uh, in that Australia ODI series, games we probably should have won. In a couple of those occasions, super, you know, let them get to super overs, lost super overs, those kind of things, and it felt like those kind of things were were lingering. But then they kind of got over that, and suddenly were, you know, a much better side seemed to become through the other side. But the actual, you know, the thing that's I actually think is a key contributor is that when we were going well, New Zealand's had a really settled side, and we haven't really done the rest and rotation. We've played the same side over and over again. People have figured out roles really, really well. But this time, we've had so many games. People don't want to be on tour for that long. And actually, it's it's been a lot of chopping and changing. And now, I don't, I don't have a clue who our best side is. And I think people have been injured. People have been out of form. And yeah, I, I just don't know who our side is. And I think that's actually, you know, whether the selectors in their minds know or whether that's part of it, that they don't really know who the top side is. And that's that sort of lack of confidence in roles is sort of trickling down to the to the performances on the field. But boys, how much of a concern are the injury worries that you've got? I read, uh, I think this morning, uh, both your speedsters, Lockie and Adam Milne, both injury doubts leading into that uh, tournament and, and kind of really will change potentially. You know, it, it, it's great to have a couple of guys that can bowl over 145. It's not like you can call up another person because there isn't one. Um, how how big of a blow might that be if you've not got either of those speedsters uh, come come your first game? Did I also read that uh, Mitchell was in doubt as well? Yeah, broken hand, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Daryl Mitchell. They they came out today. Daryl Mitchell's um, he's going. Uh, there was there was sort of some doubt whether he was going to go on the um, you know join the team for the squad. The uh, he said that Gary Stead came out today and said that he they're going to take Daryl Mitchell. They feel like he's an important player. 
he's sort of in a race race in the clock to actually get there for will be fit for the first game against Australia, which you know potentially is our biggest game of the tournament. But um, you know that that game he might not be fit for, but then should be fit for the rest of the tournament. So they feel like it's still worthwhile taking him. I sort of tend to agree. Um, you know, you're gonna you've got players in your 15 that you would hope can come off the bench and you're better off having Mitchell in your squad as, as far as I know. But I mean, going back to the, to your seamers, Binksy, I think that uh, Milne sounds like he could be back for the next uh, game against Pakistan, which is a couple of days away. So potentially not a huge drama. The, probably the bigger drama with him is that he hasn't had much cricket because he has been injured. Lockie, yeah, sounds like he is, he is the one that's more in doubt. Again, they're hoping that he will be fit for the tournament. At this stage, haven't made a change. I think they've still got a few days before they they can do that. And I, I actually think they can make, um, you know, someone could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they can make changes up until, or, you know, when someone gets injured. I think that happened in the, the tournament last year. If people were actually injured and ruled out for the whole tournament, they can make a change. But I think the concern with Lockie probably is that his form hasn't been that good. I mean, you know, we were talking off air, you and I, before about, speedsters and it, it seems like speedsters if they're not bang on at the moment they can really take some tap and that's what's been happening with Lockie so yeah I, I don't know that that bowling attack that I thought was one of the best in the in the business is now suddenly not looking as strong I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to Baldy in a second um j- just to answer your question there Binksy I actually am gonna go from a you know have a little bit of a different tact here I think that for me, the more important bowlers to get it right are the slow bowlers, uh, Ish and, and, and Mitchell Santner, if, if they're both playing. Hopefully they're both uh, playing, if not one of them. Uh, they're the ones I feel that need to make the, the most impact. When they fall apart, um, as we saw in, in that the last Pakistan game we just, just had a couple of days ago, when they fall apart, we really struggle to, to keep the runs down. Uh, I think with Bolt and Southey uh, leading them, leading the team from a seeming attack, I think we can keep it under control. Uh, it is really the uh, the slow bowlers for me. So I'm not essentially that worried about the the, the extreme paces, but they are, are nice to have. But they have a much smaller uh, room or area for for getting it wrong uh, in Australia. Definitely. Over to you, Baldy. The only thing I just wanted to touch on for New Zealand, and and please don't read into this the wrong way either Stuart or Raj or listeners is New Zealand have picked Glenn Phillips ostensibly Glenn Phillips Devin Conway Finn Allen and according to the team sheet that's on the ICC World Cup website Michael Bracewell as the potential wicket keepers to go to this tournament none of those guys really are full-time professional wicket keepers they are batters who who keep wicket a little bit. Um, we saw last night in the Pakistan game a reasonably easy run-out chance missed by Devin Conway, and I'm not disparaging Devin Conway's wicket-keeping skills here for a second, but is it possible that the lack of a genuine wicket-keeping option may be a problem at some point in this tournament when, you know, taking that one run-out chance, that 1% catch that only a genuine wicketkeeper can take. What's your level of concern with the balance of that wicketkeeping setup? Uh, for me, none. Um, I know that uh, wicketkeeping is is an art in itself. I'm looking at Binksy through the screen there. But I just feel like from a balance perspective for this New Zealand side, uh, Conway keeping 
or Phillips keeping, although I don't think Phillips will keep, but Conway keeping uh, it balances our side perfectly. I think if we if we were to have a keeper bat lower down, uh, it would limit our effectiveness of, you know, the, the Neshams, for example, um, to, to actually finish off an inning. So I think that, uh, yeah, Con- Conway for me is, is, the, is the way forward at this stage. Yeah, look, uh, um, yeah, there's no concern. There's no concern at all. I mean, we played with Conway last year as, as well as in the the World Cup. It was fine. I think he'll he'll do a suitable job, and it's the the sort of only way we can balance our side. I, I know that there are other teams that people want to get to, but I I think we can't kind of leave this conversation as much as I'm trying to hide it under the rug and kind of look. Uh, you know, look the other way about it. I think we probably have to get some thoughts about uh, Kane Williamson. I know there's been a lot of conjecture really around what he's doing and and our T20 side and how he's and, and his role in the side basically. Because I personally still think, as I said before, that he uh, the way you know you have to turn up for big games. And I think Kane Williamson has shown throughout his career that in these big occasions. He's going to be someone that we can count on and play in important innings. But there's no doubting that, you know, I think if you look at the stats, if you look at his past 12 months, if you look at past two years of T20 cricket, his strike rate has been low, his dot ball percentage has been high. All of those things that are not good about T20 cricket when they're, when they're going that way have not been good. There's, call, there's suddenly starting to get calls for, you know, actually would New Zealand be a better T20 side without Kane Williamson in the lineup, with Phillips at, you know, with Guptill or with Mitchell at, uh, at three or four or, uh, you know, all sorts of different format uh, permutations. Chapman, there's a bunch of different guys that could come in. Guptill's at the moment sitting on the sidelines. Would it be better to have guys that were just impetus the whole way throughout the lineup? I, I don't know who wants to jump in and, and take this, but, uh, yeah, I, it's a concern for me, but I, I, I still feel like, we're a better side with Kane in it than out. Yeah, but, but Lippy, I'm not going to let the Conway one go through to the keeper first. So my 10-second view on that for, uh, before I get on to Kane Williamson is, look, I think when you're kind of playing a game of poker um, and you've got the you know you've got the gamble of going in with a bit part wicket keeper, yes, I think 99 times out of 100 you might get away with it. Um, I'd just like to revisit this conversation if, you know, he misses a stumping or drops an absolute goober in the final that costs you the tournament, uh, then you'll, you know, particularly if he, you know, doesn't score the volume of runs. Um, so, look, I do think that, you know, there has been a little bit of a move to, to you know, quality Gloveman having that big impact on T20 cricket. For Kane Williamson, I, I tend to agree, but that also suggests that, you know, the IPL wasn't a particularly big game tournament. Um, his strike rate went backwards in that. Um, didn't really, um, you know, really sort of prove probably um, that, you know, the amount of craw invested on him in, in that tournament. But what I would say goes in his benefit a little bit here is Australian grounds and Baldy, I might get this completely wrong here, but um, most of those grounds that we're going to be playing on are much bigger playing services um, than some of the grounds in the UAE in the last um, World Cup. And in the IPL, where you know crash bang wallop is the order of the day, and um, Williamson has got a beautiful weight to his shots. The, the only problem I think that you have with that is it goes back to an old school of playing limited overs cricket, of um, you know scoring lots of twos and threes. And I just wonder whether um, the rest of the cricketing world has evolved a little bit beyond the black caps now, and that kind of attritional cricket where you keep yourself in the game for as long as possible 
when you've got teams that can absolutely destroy you um, with that power hitting all the way down the order um, might just see a changing of the uh, of the guard as we go through um, go through the tournament so look that's my two cents I still think he's a world-class player um, and I'm sure he'll prove you know prove us all wrong but um, yeah I, I wonder whether this just is that sort of period of time where we'll, we'll start to see a greater evolution of of t20 cricket and um, let's move on um, and look at our next side um, on the list Baldy unusually has been pretty quiet through the course of the podcast so far um, notwithstanding his beautiful explainer at the top so Baldy will come to you for your um, for your pick and I'm sure we'll all fire a few um, questions um, at you but who do you want to talk about Oh, look, it would, I would be remiss if I didn't want to talk about Australia and their build-up. Completely different from last year's World Cup. Uh, this year, Australia have a number of cricketers in reasonable form and Mitchell, Mitchell Marsh not doing a lot, uh, whereas last year we had no one in form and Mitchell Marsh was doing everything, including mixing the Gatorade, driving the bus to the ground and also uh, submitting the scorecard and, and signing it afterwards on behalf of the team. So it's an interesting build-up for Australia in that there are still some question marks being asked of this cricket side. Uh, in particular, where does Steve Smith fit in the middle order? And and what do we do about that? Uh, what's the best spot for Aaron Finch to bat? Should Aaron Finch still be in the side? I think we've answered that question by default in that he hasn't been sacked yet and therefore will be in the side going forward. I actually thought that Aaron Smith batting at four in one of those recent warm-up matches was a good idea in that he is able to once the ball stops swinging, get his front pad out of the way and, and what has previously been the biggest front pad in the history of world cricket suddenly doesn't start to look quite as big. It looks like a big front pad, but but not the biggest in history. So I think him at four made a little bit of sense to me in that he can knock it around in the middle. He can get to 50 off 30 if he needs to. And the guys at three, five and six can really bat around someone like Aaron Finch. Um similar to the role that Steve Smith would play if he was batting in that side at number four. The can, can I just uh, interrupt side. you yeah, here? Yeah, just go for uh, it, right? You, mate, you fill your boots. So, um, Aaron Smith aside, Aaron Finch, can uh, is he just being put in a spot just to be put in a spot? Like, surely there are better number three options uh, that you could use uh, than, than Aaron Smith at Aaron Finch at number three. Well, I liked him at number four. I think Mitchell Marsh is locked in at number three. He did a great role in the last World Cup, and we've got no evidence to suggest that he's out of form or should be replaced in that role. So you're really looking at, if you if you make the assumption that Matthew Wade bats at seven, uh, you want Glenn Maxwell somewhere in the side, even though he's out of form at the moment. So he's in there at five. You're having a conversation then about who bats at four and who bats at six. And if you wanted to have... Tim David, who I think has been spectacular for Australia since coming into the side at number six. Uh, David and Matthew Wade are locked in at six and seven. You've got Wade at five. Now you've got to find room for Smith, Finch and Stoinis, two out of those three. Now, I will say that Cameron Green, who I would have in that Australian squad at the moment, based on form, is not in the squad. So barring injury, unless Stoinis or Marsh doesn't come through, is not in the squad. So we'll rule him out. So you've got Finch, you've got... Stoinis, and you've got, who was the other one? Uh, Steve Smith. Smith. Steve Smith, to fit at two and four. And you can only you can only really have two of those. So if you're going to have an opening bat, it's not Finch, it's got to be Stoinis. And he hasn't opened so far this year. They've given that job to Cameron Green. So that's, he's out. So he's either at four um, or not on the side. 
and then you've sort of so you you're starting to kind of build the team by exception and you, and you're right are there better options than Aaron Finch opening the batting quite possibly but I don't think there's any better leader for that side who's carried the team through the last two years than Aaron Finch ultimately is Pat Cummins or somebody else going to take over the Australian cricket team after the end of this World Cup most likely but for now the selectors have decided that Finch is the leader and and he's got to find a role in the side somewhere uh, but I think if you took a poll of the most talented 11 cricketers in Australia and the best six bats in Australia, all things being equal, all up, leadership aside, I don't think Aaron Finch is in that top six. I think he's outside the top six in favour of Cameron Green or Marcus Stoinis or somebody else opening the batting. That being said, I think he's still our best leader for this team at this time, and that's why he's still in the side. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you. Like, I I think even just you talking through all of those different things kind of outlines the the questions. Because when I think, thought about Australia, when I first started thinking about this tournament, and and you know we we're going to talk about it preview, I thought to myself, Australia are the favourites here. That like last year they went into this tournament as a side that had lost a bunch of these games. Now they're a side that looks really good, lots of options, lots of balance. They've been winning games. They're at home. They feel like a side who, yeah as I said, should go and I think should go into this tournament as favourites. But you listed all those things. You, I don't think you touch, touched on Maxwell very much. Maxwell's someone who you'd, you'd built, you know, had really wanted in the side last this time last year. Mm. Now he's someone who's been out of form. He's a match winner. You, you said Tim David's been spectacular. I think actually, I mean, completely different roles. So you can't really compare the actual aggregate of runs. But I actually think if you looked at his runs compared to Aaron Finch's runs for in T20 cricket over the last five to ten games. Finch is probably just as good as, as Tim David. David's had a couple of scores. He's had a lot of failures. Mm. So I, I don't even know if Tim David would be in my lineup, apart from the fact that I think in T20 cricket now, six, six and seven, or at least five and six, it seems like those two roles are finishers. No matter, no matter they are strike what, rate roles. Yeah, they are strike rate roles. They're 100% strike rate roles, and that's why Tim David is the best possible guy to be in that position for Australia. Matthew Mm. Wade is the Michael Bevan of that team. He is the not-out guy at the end who's 50 off 30 or 30 off 20 or whatever it is. Tim David is the guy who can get you 60 off 30 if he bats for 30 balls. Matthew... um, Glenn Maxwell ordinarily would be someone like that, but he's been a little bit out of form, making Tim David more obvious when he fails because you know you you, you kind of need one of those two to come off and if it's not Maxwell and it's not David then you kind of start to look at people so I, I really like David in that role I think Australia are very very dangerous when they have a five six seven of Maxwell David and Matthew Wade I think that's the most dangerous most potent side we can put on the park the question is who bats at number four whether they go with Steve Smith for, for stability for want of a better word same like Kane Williamson. Can he get us 50 off 30 and, and anchor that innings while people bat around him and, and go nuts? Or is it going to be, well, we're just going to go all out attack and we want the maximum number of bowling options because we're only going to bowl four frontline bowlers and we need to find four overs from Maxwell, Stoinis, Marsh need to be able to give us four overs. So we need an extra all-rounder in there because Warner doesn't bowl, Finch doesn't bowl. Steve Smith these days doesn't bowl, and I don't think he would bowl very many overs. So that Australian side needs to have a, a bowler in there somewhere, I think, and that's where I think it will be a question of whether or not they take Stoinis or Smith at number four. 
Bordy, I think you're dead right. Uh, Matthew Wade is the finisher, particularly if he's going to use the clothesline late as well. Um, you know, we, we, we know from WWF days that, that you know, that is a, a bona fide way of ending a bout. Um, jokes aside, though, you mentioned it there with the bowling. So um, Australia, I think, go into this tournament clearly on home soil with a very, very potent pace lineup. You know, we talked about Josh Hazelwood and how he's really come to the fore in T20 cricket. We know we've obviously got um, Pat Cummins as well. But you mentioned it there in terms of, you know, you mentioned four guys that are going to bowl four overs. Are you really comfortable that those roles are well enough defined that you know where you're going to get those four from? Do, do the guys have a plan or do you think they're going in and almost saying, we'll get four out of a combination of Stoinis, Maxwell and someone else, maybe Mitch Marsh, if we need to? Or do you think they have a set plan as to, you know, who their fifth and sixth bowlers are? Oh, look, I think what you'll find is Australia will try and burgle an over from Maxwell early doors in the innings. I think we've seen that from him in the IPL. I think you'll see that uh, in in this tournament. He'll try and get an early over from Maxwell. Um, you might try and get a late over, one over from Marsh or Stoinis, somewhere in that 16-17 range. And then it's basically Hazelwood, Stark, Zampa to put the brakes on. And then, you know, Pat Cummins to do Pat Cummins things. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Josh Hazelwood bowl at home in this tournament. He was outstanding for Australia this time last year. He's now the premier T20 bowler in the world. Can you believe it? You wouldn't have thought that two years ago. Uh, but with the extra little bit of pace and bounce that are in Australian wickets, I think there's an opportunity for Hazelwood and Stark in particular to make early inroads in the power play. And if they can pick up a couple of wickets early doors, particularly against a side like Pakistan in a semi or a final that rely a lot on their top two, top three, if they can pick up a couple of wickets early doors, they can really set the cat amongst the pigeons in one of those big matches. And and uh, look, I, I um, yeah, Baldy, I, I do want to have one. I'll give you one last question here. You can give me a short answer and then we can move on to, to one of these other teams. Maybe we'll move to Raj after this break up the uh, the party lines uh, of, of the rest of us on here. But I mentioned it before, Australia, go, I think, go in as, as favourites in this tournament. Are, are you, I mean, I'm sure you're not comfortable with that uh, tag. I, I know uh, how, how, you're, how you work, but do you actually think that's warranted this year? Well, no Australian is comfortable being a favourite. We much prefer to be the underdogs, that's for sure. I'm not comfortable with Australia being favourites, having seen the recent performances from England over in Perth and some of the performances that Pakistan have put on the board recently and the sheer amount of talent that India has in this tournament. They're just three sides that you can throw the throw the rule book out in terms of what are they going to produce in this World Cup. So I'm not sure that Australia should be favourites. I don't think they deserve to be. There are just too many questions to to lock them in as favourites for the tournament. And let's face it, it's a two-game tournament, really. You get to the semi-finals and you've got to play two really good games of cricket. You've got to get there. And which is going to be a, which is going to be an interesting proposition, particularly if you have a look at that group that Australia are in. Um, you could end up with the West Indies being in that group as, as long as, as well as Australia, England, and New Zealand and Afghanistan. So there's an op- there's a possibility that if even if Sri Lanka, like Sri Lanka could finish second in their in their pool group, so you could actually end up with Australia, England, New Zealand, Afghanistan, the West Indies, and Sri Lanka potentially in that group. 
And that's an that's a very tough group to get out of. It might not work out that way. It might be completely different. And West Indies and Sri Lanka could end up in the other group. Who knows? Uh, we had surprises like this the last time we saw the World Cup. So who can predict who's going to get out of Group 1? But I don't think that Australia are a certainty to get out of the group. And I don't think that Australia are favourites for the tournament. And I might have been... look. As you say in the chat, I might have been mixing codrill and, and beers and, and lem sips far too much in the last 24 hours. But I, I just genuinely don't think Australia are certainties to get out of the group. And they're certainly not favorite, tournament favourites for me. Awesome. Look, I think we better move on. I've got um, Odds Checker up on my PC here. Um, so for those of you not familiar with it, it lists about 20 different bookmakers and then the odds for the tournament. Um, of all 20 bookmakers, have Australia at the top of their... Uh, their top of their list there so um either you know bet 365 skybet paddy power william hell betfair coral unibet are all wrong and baldy's right or uh or yeah maybe the lemsip has been impregnated with something else Let, let's move on um raj who do you want to talk about um as your team to watch throughout this tournament well, i'm happy you said team to watch throughout this tournament i'll just talk about myself for the next five minutes um Okay, so the way I, the team I want to talk about is Pakistan. Uh, I've kind of broken this down into weaknesses, strengths, and then just a little bit at the end, uh, rounding it off um, with an all-rounder. Uh, from a weakness perspective, I've actually said that the bouncing pitches, I think, are going to be a weakness for Pakistan. Uh, we've mentioned a couple of times here that their whole batting side is actually really revolves around two players at the top there, Baba Azam and, and Rizwan there at the top. If those two can handle those fast, bouncy wickets, then I think Pakistan can go really deep into this tournament. They'll go a long, long way. Uh, the pitches that we've seen in Pakistan recently have actually been on that faster, bouncier side rather than the dusty side. Um, so, you know, there's no reason that they can't adapt to that. And the pitch down in Christchurch was... Skidding on a little bit, probably wasn't as bouncy, but it was definitely, um, there was pace in it, So and they, and they looked immense uh, when they played New Zealand on that, that first game, or the second game of that tri-series. So from a weaknesses, weaknesses perspective, I think that that is theirs, probably their, their biggest strength in that in their batting, but it's also their weakness that revolve, revolves around two players there. Thoughts? Anyone got a question for me around that? Uh, well, I mean, the... the uh the cock high length for for Barbara Azam is is going to be a, a real concern for for him. Obviously, uh, we we can't get can't get through the podcast without throwing that joke in there. But um, oh look, Baba, I mean honestly, um, obviously it was a not so great catch from Glenn Phillips that you know that game New Zealand the other day could have gone quite differently. But the fact that you know. He just looks so good, Barbara Azam. Some of the shots that he was playing late on in that innings, you know, we're talking about we talked about Kane Williamson before, and and Barbara Azam, they're they're often compared because they're they're both you know in that elite level of cricketers. But I think what Barbara Azam has been able to do, certainly in the T Twenty format in recent times, he's able to to hit the boundaries. He he looks absolutely all class. Gets singles, you know, can can fake soak up a couple of dot balls, but then he can just go bang, 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 hit a couple of boundaries, and suddenly he's way above, you know, a 100 strike rate. And, uh, yeah, it, look, as you said, it's it's a, it's a big, uh, could be a big weakness for them. It could be a big strength because I, I completely agree. I think that their tournament rides on the batting side completely on those two players. Hmm. 
But if those two players go off like they have been for a long time, it, they're going to be incredibly hard to stop, as we saw in the last tournament. It, just to round that off, so Baba Azam, just some numbers, he is averaging 44 overall in his 2020 career, which is incredible. Uh, three, Just over 3,100 runs. And, and Rizwan, who we didn't mention there, has been on an absolute tear. He's averaging 66 over his last 44 2020 matches, which is which is just incredible. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll move on to... Oh, sorry, Binksy, did you have something you wanted to... Jumping yeah, on. I was just going to ask. There's a little bit of conjecture in the in the press. I think um, a lot of commentary and uh, Ramiz Raja. I think coming out today uh, defending the the squad that's been announced because there's a few sort of questionable omissions. Um, I think he said uh, we don't have Lionel Messi sitting on the bench. Um, I'm not sure what good he'd be um, in, in this tournament particularly. Uh, the ground's probably a little bit big for him. Um, but yeah, have we got any news on whether or not we're going to see Shaheen, Shah, Afridi? Um, I think the other omission for me is, is Fak as a man. He's on the reserves list, I think. So um, that looks a really strange when you've got um, you know Sham Masood uh, in, in the side, you know, probably better known as a test match um, batter. Um, yeah, so any sort of personnel things there that, that concern you about the makeup of that squad? So I think that from a, a key perspective here for that is that a lot of the players who they have selected for this World Cup squad were actually there at the last World Cup squad uh, in you know 2021, and they've played a lot of the bilateral series, tri-series, whatever you want to say, in, in between that. So there has been a little bit of consistency, and that, that really is the secret sauce to building a really strong team, is actually having a consistent team to actually build that, that, that synergy around. So I don't think that that will be as big a problem. Guys like Mohamed Wazim, uh, even Shan Masood, who you're talking about, they are actually performing. They're being brought into the side and, and they are performing. So I think that the, the selection for Pakistan at the moment is actually giving them a really good chance here to build some consistency and, and, and play well. I guess that's one of the biggest things. If you think back about you know Pakistan cricket and how they've played, they come out one day and they look like absolute world beaters and then they'll come out the next day and, and wouldn't be able to catch a cold. You know, uh, but what they're doing at the moment is giving them that consistency and the ability to, to build their team around something. So, so yeah, I, uh, to answer your question, I think that the selections have been spot on at the moment. Um, we'll see, you know, in the wash up, whether that, uh, whether that, that, that comes true or not. Raj, I, I hope that for your, your strengths that you put down that seam bowling, because uh, honestly, I mean, you know, Binksy touched on it there. There's still a big question mark around Shaheen Sharafridi. I think they're hoping to get him fit for this tournament, but you know, there's, there's even this tri series they're playing here. They're missing Shaheen, they're missing Hasnain, they're missing Nazim. Or you know, all those players are, are in the squad, potentially going to be there or not. But then we see, like you just mentioned, Raj Muhammad Wasim comes in, bowls really, really well the other night. Um, you've got Harris Ralph there. You, you know, they've got decent spinners. They've they've got a, a stack of bowlers, and you know, if if they're at full strength. I feel like that's a massive, massive strength for their side. I don't even know who can really match them in terms of um, seam bowling quality. Possibly Australia, um, who we've touched on there. South Africa's got a good seam attack. But yeah, they they are one of the leading seam attacks for sure. Yep, those three players you've mentioned there, Shaheen, Nassim, Shah and... Harris Rolf have just been lighting the world up, uh, you know, over the last sort of two years, eighteen months. Uh, if I actually, even the same Shah, if I just, I've got a little bit of uh, actually his last few performances since August. 
so I'll just I'll just rattle them off really quickly for you. He's taken uh, some of these are ODIs, most of them are twenty twenties, but he's taken three for fifty one, two for twenty seven, five for thirty three, two for twenty seven, two for seven, uh, one for forty five, and they start trailing off a little bit there with the last couple of games. But he he was in a real purple patch uh, in terms of his uh, bowling there, and I think that he's really coming along. He is the youngest of those three, uh, but I think all three of them, if they can get them together, if, if we can get uh, Shaheen Shah Freddy, uh, you know, fit and able to play, the, like you said, they're going to be able to to be up there with the with the best. I um I don't really see many teams out there that can match them. Over to you, Baldy. Oh, I was just going to lay on top of that. Harris Wealth was a star in the uh, BBL. He has he has been a standout player for a couple of seasons. I'm not sure if he played in the last iteration of the Big Bash, but he has been an excellent, excellent performer in Australian conditions. And he's he's really hurrying up some of those you know premier batsmen in that tournament. So he's going to be really one to watch from that Pakistan side as far as pace bowling is concerned. And I I think they've got a really really good attack. The last one I want to just round off with, just to, to sort of add a little, little bit of balance, uh, is Shadab Khan. So I guess he, he's probably one of the more quiet achievers, but his consistency in, you know, four overs of bowling, you know, taking, you know, no, not going for many runs, taking the odd pole here or there, it allows those people at the extreme ends, uh, you know, the Nassim Shahs, the Harris Ralphs, and then even when we talk about his batting, the Baba Azam, the Muhammad Rizwans, the way that he conducts himself and he goes about his game, scoring runs quickly, slowly, no matter what the scenario is, is you know, not, no matter what scenario pops up, he's able to slot himself in there. I think he ended up betting at four in that last test match. Uh, sorry, the last 2020 that he played against New Zealand. So, uh, yeah, he's really impressed me as well with his demeanour, the way he comes across when talking to the media. Uh, we were lucky enough to be in the press conference last time uh, when uh, Pakistan were here and he conducted himself really well. He's got a little bit of that... Uh, calmness about him you know it's almost Donnie-esque I think that's you know one of the best compliments you can give somebody but uh, he's it's always a good thing to have floating around someone who's got that calm head uh, you know when, when things sort of go wrong if they go wrong Baldy I couldn't agree with you more him moving to four is huge for Pakistan it's where he plays his best cricket in the PSL for Islamabad United they've been clamoring for him to move to four on this Pakistan side he gives that middle order some balance he fills the hardest position in a T20 team in, in the order and as you say he can score runs at any tempo and and that's huge for Pakistan because if they lose two quick wickets in the power play they need a guy who can play for 40 50 balls and get 70 runs he can do that job they need a guy to get 35 off 15 he can do that job as well if he needs to at the back end of an inning so look I think Shadab Khan as good as Rizwan and um, excuse me as Baba Razam are at the top of the innings he's going to be the absolute linchpin of that batting lineup because if one of them can bat with him I mean assuming they're not going to be 200 for none in every game but if one of those top guys can bat with Shadab Khan through you know 60-70% of the innings Pakistan aren't going to be a flash in the pan. They're going to be a side that can consistently put up big scores and they've got a pace attack to be able to defend that and bowl sides out. Look, I, I know, um, yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I I, I think uh, the the jury, that, that sort of Pakistan is this uh, enigmatic side, certainly in T20 cricket. I think that's kind of gone out of the window now. I, I think, yeah, Raj has mentioned a few times during this chat of just about how consistent they've been and, and what a good side that they are. I know that they haven't kind of won those tournaments. They they performed really, really well last last round of this uh, T20 World Cup. They, you know, got to the final of the Asia Cup, lost that final. 
they'll be hungry. They'll be a hungry side to, to come out and, and win this. But look, I know we want to leave some time for, for hot takes and stuff at the end. So Binksy, we should probably get to, to your side. Uh, I think you're, you're going uh, back to, back to the well there on uh, country lines, are we? Yeah, look, I, I am. And look, make, make no apologies for it either. Um, Look, I, I think the thing I want to cover, and a little bit similar to what Raj, I've got a couple of question marks, a, a couple of things that I think are, you know, in England's favour leading into this tournament. Um, the the thing I think is really in England's favour to an extent is I, I really think when we kind of come out of the aftermath of this kind of COVID situation and the way that England have planned, um, whether it's a little bit of luck and a little bit of um, of good planning. They've actually really, really leveraged, I think, the ability for their players to get some cricket in the big bash over the past three or four years really, really well. Uh, we've got the likes of um, Alex Hales, um, Liam Livingston, even some of the other guys that you know are there ostensibly as, as backup players, Phil Salt, um, David Milan has played in the big bash, um, as well as uh, you know, Curran and, and Willie and others. So that they've given their, t- their guys the opportunity. So I, I don't think that's a mistake in terms of the planning that they've had. Um, so I really think particularly from a batting perspective, um, the bouncy pitches that they're going to play, they've set that batting line up to play um, aggressive cricket on true cricket wickets uh, and probably be in a, in a situation where, you know, they might be able to think of 180, 190 plus as a par score for them, um, which I think is going to take some chasing down um, on these grounds. Um, I'm going to contradict myself slightly that that leads into our kind of weakness and that um, at the moment is that is the bowling. Um, I've got really, really big concerns around um, Sam Curran um, and David Willey if they're going to play in that sort of all-rounder slot. Um, Chris Wokes, I think, often been talked about, um, you know, hasn't performed well in Australia with the Kookaburra. I think the white ball's a different prospect and I think he's proved that he's actually been a really, really good white ball bowler for England. Um, and let's not underestimate the fact that, you know, I think in a different world, he could have been a, a, a genuine test match number seven as a batter. So um, he really brings a, a nice little balance to that side. But the biggest question mark for me, though, is Moen Ali. Um, he's barely bowled in this seven match series in Pakistan. Um, they've relied heavily on Adil Rashid. We, we might see a little bit of Liam Livingston sort of uh, leg break and off break um, mix. But there's a little bit of confusion for me when we've got so many players that can swing the bat quite purely. Where does Moen Ali fit in if he isn't going to bowl, um, you know, a couple of overs at least in um, in in that um, in that in that lineup? And then the other thing is, I've got a question mark around whether or not Stokes is in the best eleven. You know, um, it was strange last night to see England get off to a really really good start with Butler and Hales, Milan, who uh, I know we often joke about it was the T20 world. Uh, ranked best batsman in the world for a little period of time, sitting there with his pads on, and then they got off to a flyer, and all of a sudden Stokes comes in, um, and in all fairness, burned a number of balls up trying to, you know, trying to keep up with a rate of, you know, eleven or twelve and over. And um, we then saw Brooke come in, and um, you know, had a little bit of a glimpse, but then similarly um, struggled. And then you know, Milan came in, and I know he didn't score runs, but he just looked really calm. He nudged his first ball down to third man. He's you know one off one. He hits a well timed two. He's three off two. You know, he he knows how to can kind of construct that inning. So I just wonder or not there's a little bit of confusion. Yes, get your best players up the top of the order, um, but that that's the other question mark for me in that um, in that England side. And man, I feel almost un English saying it after the summer that he's had. 
So just uh, there's a lot of points there. Uh, the the first one uh, that I want to talk about, Moeen Ali. Where, where, if, where do you see him playing? I know we, we talked about this earlier. We were saying he needs to bat up the order, uh, maybe not open the batting, but bat three and have everyone bat around him. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. He's not really bowling. So, so what do you think his actual role, I know it's a question mark for you, but if you had to be a pundit and guess, what do you reckon? Yeah, look, I, I, I think... I think he bats seven. Um, to be honest, uh, you know, I, I think if they've got Livingston in that side, I, I think Livingston is a better option at six. So I think that pushes Moen Ali down one. So I've got you know Butler, Hales, Milan, Stokes in in the side, Brooke, and then Livingston, and, and then Ali, and then you're kind of all rounders. Um, so yeah, for me, it's that kind of number seven slot. And look, he hits a pure cricket ball. He really does, and I think almost. That's where he's best utilised in this England side. He's coming in with almost um, nothing to do other than come in and almost get on with it from from ball one, rather than seeing him a bit higher um, up the order, which is where you know we we have kind of flirted with using him in, in, in the past. Mm. And with the Stokes thing, I think he's in. I think I think if I was selecting, he would be in my my best eleven. He's the kind of big game player you need. Um, you may not know you need him until you actually actually need him, but. Uh, the one point I'll just bring up before I hand over to, to, to one of the others is when we talked about New Zealand, I mentioned the, the slow bowling, and I think that's actually going to be really important uh, in Australia during this tournament. What, what what do you reckon about, about Adil Rashid? I feel like if he's going to, he needs to, he's a key for them. If he bowls well, uh, their bowling will bowl well. If he starts to get a bit of tap, I feel like everything will sort of unravel sort of unravel a little bit uh what are your thoughts on on Adil Rashid yeah look I think he's a quality leg spinner I really do and I think um he's been extremely successful for us um performed pretty well last night I still think people don't pick his wrong gun um and he's he's gonna do a few people throughout the course of the tournament um if they if they can't pick him the the kind of comparison I'd make though is um we saw in the big bash uh Rashid Khan a lot of teams actually went do you know what we can't pick him um, we're just going to, you know, we're going to see him as the bowler. We don't really get after and try and preserve our big hitters and they don't, you know, they don't go after him. It'll be interesting to see how teams actually um, play him. Australia last night tried to get after him. I think he's a better bowler when teams uh, do sit in on him and, 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 and don't uh, don't try and sort of dominate him. And I think whenever players run at England spinners, they they tend to get a little bit scared. We you know we've seen it quite a lot in the Ashes on particularly good pitches in Australia. So I think if players go after him, that's going to be um, you know that's going to be the way to go. But look, I still think he's a quality performer. I don't know whether Lippy as our resident uh, spin expert or Baldy as our resident leg spin expert have got any uh, anything to add on that. Well, I know Baldy will want to talk talk up England, given he's uh, Let's just not said let that him. they should be one of the. One of the favourites, but uh, so he can have his word in, in a minute. But uh, my kind of comment on England, and um, I think when I when I look at this tournament, I feel like there are real, really distinct, maybe more than ever, distinct kind of styles of play. And and even just watching that game last night, uh, you know, we're talking on a Monday night here in New Zealand time, Sunday night's game in Australia, you know, two hundred plus for both sides, England and Australia. The fact. That, I think they talked to Alex Hales at at, uh, at the break, and he said, "Look, 190 is a is a par score that they kind of viewing." And if we, you know, we go back to the conversation we had about New Zealand, 190 I think is almost at the edge. You know, it's sort of almost at the edge of our range, and it feels like England is aside, along with perhaps maybe India and 
I would I would put South Africa in that mix. They feel like teams that are just going to go all out with firepower and say, look, we have we have stacks of guys here that can just hit hit the rope. We're not going to come, uh, you know, we're not going to have this guy at four who can knock it around. And um, I know you mentioned Milan, but even Milan scores at a de- at a decent clip when he gets in. So I feel like they're a side that they're going to say we're going to live or die by getting 190. It's that going back to the the 2019 World Cup where the the plan was, you know, we're going to get 350. That didn't eventuate sort of um, the way that World Cup kind of panned out. But there's going to be real distinct styles for for different teams. And I think that's going to be one of the most fascinating watches of of the whole tournament. Raj, I know you're a big fan of um, one of Yorkshire's finest, young Johnny Bairstow. Um, I, I know you'll have something to say on the, the impact of him missing this uh, this tournament, particularly given the rich vein of form he's been in uh, over this English summer. Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question, actually. Um, Johnny Bairstow, I think, he, he really did come of age as part of, you know, the, the number of IPL innings he had where he just let the shackles go or broke out of the shackles and I think it definitely fed into what we saw this season in his red ball game uh, I think he's going to be a massive loss uh, from a white ball perspective for uh, for England just because he's just one of those as Stu said one of those absolute power players that you just send him out there I feel like he's either going to get out or he's going to score you a 50 really really quickly uh, there's there's no sort of middle ground with him uh, I think that his you know the impact of him being out is massive well, what do you reckon uh, Binksy? Yeah, look, I, I don't doubt that there's an impact there, but I think when you can sub in someone like Alex Hales at the top of the order, when you've got someone like Phil Salt, who is going to be, um, you know, mixing the Gatorade um, throughout the course of the tournament, and when you look at the stats that they can bring, is there going to be that much of a difference between them and, um, and Bairstow? I, I don't think there will be. I think Alex Hales has showed a calmness in the innings that he's played. Last night, I thought, you know, he was sensational. Um, rode his luck a little bit but knew where his areas were um, knows his game as well as someone like Johnny Bairstow the, the only thing I would say is probably a slightly weaker well definitely a weaker fielder than, than Bairstow um, so yeah I don't doubt that you know they'll they'll miss him around the camp but I think the, the sum of the parts of that England team aren't that far away from from uh, from having it, having him in there and I'll just make one final point only before we, we probably wrap up and, and move on. And that's, I've been really, really impressed with Reese Topley as well. Um, I think um, England have been kind of really keen to get that sort of left arm option in. Um, I mentioned Willie and Curran. I think that they're, um, they're probably sort of, you know, pea shooter pace when you need a bazooka. Um, I think, you know, Reese Topley has got that ability to, to bowl at 140 plus. Um, like Tamal Mills did, you know, s- several years ago for us. So I think we've really unearthed someone that might be the guy that can take power play wickets, which I think is going to be really, really important because it looks as if we're going to utilise uh, Mark Wood's pace in the middle overs um, and potentially towards the death rather than up top with the new uh, the new rock as they call it in Australia. So I think t- Topley is going to be, uh, yeah, Topley is going to be one uh, one to watch um, in that England England side. And and look, I, I think you you know you've segued nicely there. The fact that we've you know we're almost at the hour mark in, in the show, and um, you know we wanted to hit a couple of other teams and a couple of other players, I guess, to watch. You just mentioned Topley as as a player to watch. Why don't we quickly just whip around the table uh, and and sort of name a player, or if you really can't help yourself, a, a couple of players that you 
you want to watch uh, during this tournament, and I guess why that's the case. Baldy, we'll come to you. We haven't didn't let you speak on England there, but maybe you want to throw an England player or or someone else you want to watch in this tournament. Oh no, I don't. I, I would just want to take you back a few years to the eighties and nineties when you had um, un unsolicited, not unsolicited, but um, unsanctioned video games. You remember the ones that weren't licensed by the like local boards or whatever, and you had to get creative with player names. Well, I just want to throw a name at you. There is an uncapped Scottish player who was born in nineteen ninety nine. He, there's no picture of him on the on the team sheet. His name is Brandon McMullen. Now, if that is not an alias for Brendan McCullum, I don't know what is. There's no there's no picture of this guy on his profile. He was born ostensibly the same year that McCullum made his uh, his debut. Okay, name very very similar. If he comes out in that first Scotland game dressed in a stig suit with a full face helmet on. I'm calling shenanigans. I'm watching out for Brendan McMullen, a.k.a. Brendan McCullum from Scotland. Well, have you got a serious Fantastic. one as well, or is that your genuine one to watch? Oh, uh, no, that's not serious at all. Uh, look, I, 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 who do we watch out for? Mark Wood. Mark Wood's got genuine pace. I think he's going to do some, some interesting things on Australian wickets. And he'll probably bowl well too. Um, I will. Um, I will go ahead with my my players. I had. I, I am going to indulge a little bit and, and and have a few here. From a batting perspective, I reckon Baba, uh, Alex Hales, and Devin Conway are, are probably the ones I will watch. Um, Baba and Alex Hales because I think that they are keys to their their team's success. And Devin Conway is a key to our success as well. But I think if he if he fails, I just I'm not sure where the runs are going to come from, or the big runs are going to come from for New Zealand. So uh, there's a lot in his shoulders for me there. Uh, Mitchell Stark is the other one. I think that if he can get his tail up in Australia on those bouncy wickets, I think that he he is going to be one of the most dangerous men alive uh, in, in in Australia during that period. Um, and the other one I wanted to mention was Hasaranga. I don't, I don't think I think he's going to have a great tournament, a really, really good tournament. But I just don't think he's going to get the recognition because um, I feel like Sri Lanka may not go that far in this tournament. But I, I'm expecting a big tournament from him as well. Over to you, Binksy. I'm going to go very quickly with two bowlers, and they're both from uh, India. And um, so I'm looking at Ashdeep Singh. I think um, particularly with Bumra being ruled out. Um, he is that new ball option for that Indian side. Um, le- again, left arm angle, a bit quicker than medium pace, um, swings it. A um, little bit sort of wayward with the old radar and relatively early in his international career, but I think he's one um, to watch out for on these wickets. And the other one um, look, is Jasvindra Chahal as well. So I, I do think spin's going to play a big part in this tournament, and particularly, as we mentioned already, uh, with these big grounds, someone that can spin the ball both ways, get people hitting to those long, long boundaries. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be very, very effective in this uh, tournament. And I think if those two fire, um, India have got a really, really good chance um, in the tournament because there's no doubt that they've got the batting firepower um, to get through uh, to get through the tournament as well. It's um, it's really interesting. You mentioned uh, Chahal in terms of, of wickets there and Raj mentioned ha- Hasaranga because... Uh, Hasaranga was an, another player that I had on my list. Rad, you've kind of just written them off. That Sri Lanka is, uh, you know, not having uh, a um, chance in this tournament. I actually think, you know, they kind of showed what they could do last time. 
they they're actually a side that I haven't you know out of probably all the the test playing nations they're probably the side that I haven't I've watched the least over the past twelve months. But then you actually go and look th- through their form. They they won the Asia Cup. They beat Pakistan. They beat India. They've d- they've done the business and they've got players up and down that roster now. Who are, when I you know when you look at their squad, you know I don't quite know how all the pieces fit together necessarily because I haven't watched enough of their games. But th- there's a lot of talent and and being able to take those wickets during the middle overs, I think, is going to be such a huge part. And I think you know looking back at New Zealand's recent performances. That's where Mitchell Santner, who's been a really economical bowler, kind of hasn't been able to be the quite the bowler we want him to be uh, in in terms of that. But look, I'm I'm getting way off track here. The the player that I really wanted to highlight was David Miller. You guys uh, before this uh, this chat, um, Baldy was kind of. I don't want to spoil your your um, your bracket too much, Baldy, but you said India and Pakistan are just going to cruise out of that pool. I honestly think that South Africa is a, a massive, massive chance in this tournament. David Miller, my notes here, it says David Miller Miller, Miller is a, a finisher, but he's, and, and finishers are normally the icing on the cake, right? But David Miller's the kind of player that can be the filling of, filling of the cake too. He's a guy that can come in and not just get that strike rate. He's a guy that can bat long if they get, you know, come in at four and he scores hundreds. He's, he can kind of do all of those different roles, and, and he's been in such great form over the past 12 months. You know, recently just scored 100. If he has a cracking tournament, you know, the firepower that is up and down that South African batting lineup, then the bowlers that they've got that, you know, Rabada, Nokia, I just think Miller can be the one that sort of tips them over the edge in those massive games. So, yeah, David Miller's the one for me. Awesome. Well, if anyone has followed the podcast for a reasonable period of time, there are uh, five or six guys definitely not to put in your fantasy teams throughout the course of uh, the tournament. Let's move on to one of our favourite topics, which is bold um, predictions. So we'll keep these, um, let's keep them briefer than the player, shall we? Um, so that we don't run out of bandwidth on iTunes uh, this month. Um, but yeah, bold predictions for the tournament. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with, uh, with Baldy. My bold prediction is that we are going to get the final that we thought we were going to get 12 months ago, and that will be an England-Pakistan final. Raj? Um, yep, uh, I'll go with mine now. So I've got, I've got two. I've got two. I know I'm, I'm outside of the, the scope here. Second one's on Patreon. Uh, <laughs> so from a team perspective, I've got India not to get out of their group. Um, so we'll talk about our back brackets shortly, but yeah, I, I don't think India get out of their group. I feel like their bowling is a little bit too too light without uh, Jasper Bumrah there. A lot of un, un sort of unheralded un- is not the right word untested maybe players without the likes of Shami and and, and Bumrah and you know Ravi Chandran's uh, Ashran sort of leading the bowling attack when he's not making the team uh, in other parts of the year. Uh, and then my uh, player player prediction of the year is Alex Hales to be the leading run scorer in this tournament. Over to you, Stuart. Wow, I like it. I like it. Um, look, I, I, you know, I kind of touched on it just there. Is it a bold enough prediction to say I think South Africa wins this tournament? I, I when I look at this tournament, I, I really think you know their whole lineup. You've got all sorts of talent through their batting. They're that kind of side that can just go for it. Uh, you know, with Miller, Riley Rousseau, De Kock, 
Tristan Stubbs, Klaassen, Hendricks. There's there's just so much strike power in that lineup. And then you go through their bowling lineup, and it's Rabada, Nokia, uh, you know, Ngidi, Maharaj, Shamsi. That that I honestly think that they are just stacked and. Yeah, I really think that they can give this tournament a huge shake, and that would obviously mean that a Pakistan or an India misses out in that pool, if that's the case. Um, but yeah, I, I think they can do it. Binksy, over to you. Yeah, if I've got my maths right, mine's going to be, I don't know whether it is bold, um, I think it probably is. I think Ireland get out of their, their group, um, and I think they actually come and finish third um, in their uh, in their group. I think they're going to take down a couple of big uh, big guns in this tournament and um, they've got a little bit of uh, T20 franchise league experience now coming through that side so I think we see a resurgence of, uh, of Irish uh, cricket on the on the world stage um, and man it'll be a good night out if they uh, if they have a couple of a couple of evenings like that in this tournament let's move on to the brackets so Lippy I will come to you first so we're going to talk a little bit about um, where we think the semi-finalists are going to come from. So a quick, uh, a quick reminder on the explain, explaining. We've got Sri Lanka, Netherlands, Namibia, UAE, West Indies, Ireland, Scotland, and Zimbabwe um, all going to um, vie to get into those uh, those Super 12 with England, Australia, New Zealand, Afghanistan, India, Pakistan, South Africa, and Bangladesh. Um, so where do we think we're going to get to in terms of our um, of our semis? Um, and then we'll come to the final uh, on the second round. So. Um, let's get our, uh, our semi-finalists and then we'll, we'll do the finalists before we, uh, uh, before we have a final round of betting. As much as it pains me to say it, I really do think that Australia and England come out of that pool that um, New Zealand is in. Um, I do think so that Sri Lanka will be the team that, that enters that pool. I think they'll win their group comfortably in Group A and, and I think they'll, they'll really challenge sides. Um, I know New Zealand, you know... I obviously want New Zealand to do very well. I think there's huge, huge question marks around the balance of their side and how they and how we really compete against these sides that have huge firepower. I think we'll win all the games that we kind of expected to win. New Zealand's become very good at doing that in World Cups, winning all the expected games and then kind of winning one game to tip us over the edge and put us in a semi-final spot. But yeah, I think unfortunately it's not going to be the year for them. And then that kind of left me on the other side as I said, I think South Africa wins this tournament. I think they're a huge chance. So uh, they're obviously getting out of that group too. And I went back and forth so many times on India and Pakistan. I think, uh, as I've said, I think India's or India's batting looks massively strong. Pakistan's bowling looks really strong to me. But I think I'm going to go with Pakistan just to make it through as well, um, just based on the fact that they uh, – also have Baba and Rizwan and, and yet I just couldn't back against those two at the moment. They're just in unbelievable form and um, awesome to watch. So, yeah, there's my semi-finalist for you. India misses out. Guys, I'll jump in and go uh, next. We can round things out with uh, with the home nation expert. So, Bordy can go uh, go last um, in terms of who's going to um, make the semi-finals. Uh, look, I'm going to be pretty pretty boring to be honest. I think England and Australia come out of their group in that order. Um, and then I think India and Pakistan in that order come out of their group. So um, those are my four uh, for the semi-finals. Raj? 
Yeah, fairly similar to uh, Lippies, pretty much exactly similar. I think England and Australia make it out of Group 1. If, if, if New Zealand make it out of that Group 1, please feel free to email in and ridicule me because I will take that. I'll be very happy if New Zealand make it out of that Group 1. Uh, but uh, Pakistan and South Africa are my other two out of out of Group 2, so that's India and Bangladesh missing out. Um, yeah, form teams for me, those, those, those four. Michael? Well, I think England win every game in Group A and they'll go through at the top of that group. Australia, I think, will beat New Zealand in a close game at that, in that first. That's a huge game, right? Because if, if both sides lose to England, whoever wins that game effectively is in the box seat to go through in Group 1. So that first game of the tournament is actually going to be huge from a standings point of view. If New Zealand are a chance, they have to beat Australia, in my view. Australia will put themselves in the box seat if they can beat New Zealand and all other things you know, <clears throat> work out uh, in terms of Group 1. In Group 2, I actually see India, Pakistan and South Africa all taking at least one game off each other. And then it comes down to basically three teams finishing on on the same number of points, however which way you slice it, whether it's 4-1 and one or 3-2 and two or whatever. Um, I actually have Pakistan going through on net run rate. Um, and then it's India and South Africa competing. And I actually have India going through on net run rate. I think they have got more big performances in them than South Africa do. I think South Africa have at least one low score like they did in the last World Cup in them, 120 for eight, which was the game against Australia. And I think that might hurt them in the wash-up of this tournament. So I have Pakistan going through at the top of Group 2 and India going through ahead of South Africa purely on run rate. All right, let's go through to the next round now. (laughs) Stu, who do you have for the final? Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, love love remote recording, don't we? The uh, uh, for for anyone who uh, gets gets this on YouTube, you're you're going to love this part of the show. But um, look, I um I think uh, yeah, as I said, S- South Africa is I think is going to win the tournament. So obviously they're going to get through. Uh, and uh, yeah, I actually had them. Um, who did I even have them beating? I honestly, I think they'll um. Oh, I I think I, I I don't think it matters. I honestly honestly I just don't I don't. They they, they win. Very good. You're supposed to leave that for the next round, but uh, I've got, I've got, I've also got uh, actually no I don't also have I have Pakistan uh, beating Australia and England beating South Africa to uh, make so you know, England and Pakistan in the final for me. I had, I had England actually to to be fair on my piece of paper here. I've got England to bit to uh, to win the other semi final uh, and be up against uh, South Africa. But I actually, when looking down at my piece of paper now, I actually had England beating India in the semi. So uh, my predictions have gone all over the the map. But like I said, it doesn't really matter because South Africa is the team that I w- I think are going to win this tournament, and that's really all that matters, right? Everyone else finishes last. Oh, it's absolute conviction, Stu. Uh, so I've got England England winning Group 1, which will mean that if Pakistan win Group 2, England will play India in the semi-final, and I think England win that game off the back of Joss Butler and Ben Stokes. And then Australia will end up playing Pakistan. I think Mohamed Rizwan and Baba Razam dominate Australia in that game. Shadab Khan um, plays a dab hand at number four, and Australia don't quite get over the line. So we've got, uh, we've got a Pakistan-England final as part of my bold prediction. And we've just had through uh, 
over over the line uh Binksy's predictions were England and Australia to be in the final uh for the winner of the final so we've got Stu's he thinks that South Africa are going to win for me I think that England get the job done I think they should have got the job done uh was it 12 months ago I'm not not sure how many months ago it was uh last year they should have got the job done then uh they get it done this time England for me over to you Baldy yeah, I absolutely agree. I think England are far too good a side up and down this this lineup. I think they've got great spinners. I think they've got outstanding medium pace and pace bowlers, and they've got some of the best batters in the world. They've got some great finishing in Liam Livingston and Mo Ali. I think England beat Pakistan in the final. I love what you've both done there uh, to uh, to throw England under the bus and uh, and get them knocked out in the pool. Uh, that'd be fantastic. Lose to New Zealand again and in the uh, group stages. And, uh, and get them out in the pool. That would be very, very good. But uh, I guess with Binksy dropping off this call, it's probably time to uh, to finish up the podcast, just, eh? Just before I hand over to you for wrap, Binksy says that England beat Australia in the final to, to raise another trophy high into the air. Over to you, Stu. Uh, well, I'm a bit unaccustomed to, to ending the pod. But look, yeah, it's been a pleasure uh, going through this, this episode. Um, it's always a fun one for us going through these... World Cup previews always go longer than we want because we always kind of want to talk much longer about our teams and then have a thousand questions for the for the others on their teams. Uh, always trying to get our own teams up there and, and try and figure out what's going on. It's sort of for me, it's a, it's a way to kind of process all those questions that are going on in my head about New Zealand. So it's been very very useful chat. Um, but as always, dip back into the back catalogue. We've got, got a few more interviews coming up. Trying to line up some interviews with. Uh, a number of players from around the domestic scene here in New Zealand, uh, some coaches that I think you'll be uh, interested to hear, and some players as well. So, yeah, look out for that in, your, in the coming weeks. We've got more episodes of the Hall of Fame, sort of ready to drop and, and ready to record. Uh, so there'll be plenty, plenty coming from us in the next uh, next month or so. Uh, heaps of episodes ready to go. So we look forward to having you for those, and uh, and thanks for listening. Good night, and uh, God bless from Top Order Podcast.